Matthew 25 and verse 14, and if you've got a red Bible, it's page 994. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, welcome to Jenny Poulter, Reverend Jenny Poulter, who's joined, uh, visiting with us this morning. Uh, great Sunday to turn up, Stewardship Sunday. Uh, it's always uh, one of those things. I've even visited a church on, uh, visiting a friend's church and you turn up on the money Sunday. Um, so, but what I'm hoping to do today uh, is to share with us a little bit about what this parable might mean for us in terms of uh, how we use our resources and then the great thing is I don't have to do the application today because James is going to come up and do a, a finance report and that's our application. So um, I'll unpack what this parable might mean for us and then James will uh, give us a finance update. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll dig into the passage. Gracious God, we thank you for your abundant resources. Lord, you give more than we know what to do with. But Lord, sometimes uh, we can feel overwhelmed with the task ahead of us. Lord, sometimes uh, we think we need finance when you've given us uh, skills and a lack of resources in order to create something uh, with initiative. And so Lord, we pray that you will be leading us this morning, both personally in our own life and also as a church. 
and we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, stewardship is the way in which we look at and look after the resources that God has given us for the benefit of God, ourselves and others. And I can't assume that everybody understands a biblical framework for money. I remember working at a church once and uh, I did the money talk, as you might think, and uh, afterwards, a couple of young adults said to me, oh, Mark, that's so good because we've been at this church for 20 years and nobody's ever taught to us about a biblical understanding of money. And I thought, oh, well, that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Anyway, I spoke to some of the boomers in the church and they said, why are you always talking to us about money? We get talked about money all the time. So, sometimes we see what we want to see in the Scriptures. And this particular passage here today, um, you possibly have heard this preached in terms of talents as a metaphor for your skills in life. And, and I'm not disrespecting anyone who's done that before, because that's a, a, a legitimate uh, application of this passage. But the passage is quite clearly talking about gold in bags. A, a, a talent is an original language for a bag of money that's probably a, equivalent to 60 days worth of wages. So, the servant is getting, given a collection of bags equivalent to 60 days worth of money and so the servant who gets five bags has probably seen more money in one go than they would earn and have in their possession themselves. It's the servants that are taking this money and they're using it for what the master is saying. It's the master's money. So, let's be very clear in this passage that the money that they're receiving was given to them on behalf of the master for them to invest. It's not their money, it's not their wages, it's not them to sort of do with what they want. We can see in the passage that they're given this money in order to invest it. And so, even there at the very end where the person, uh, the servant uh, goes and buries it in a hole, therefore receiving no return on investment, the master says, well, you should have even put it in the bank because at least I would have got interest off it. So, it's revealing to us the whole purpose of getting the money is to invest it, not to just keep it and be safeguarding it, but to invest it. So, this passage is primarily about money and about investing. So, sometimes uh, we can think about money in particular ways based on our view of things, but this passage probably reveals to us a little bit about what Jesus is reminding His audience about money and about resources that they're given. So, remind us that where stewardship is about what God has given us for the Kingdom of God. And so, a bit like this passage, we can see that God has given us resources to invest for the Kingdom. And we're like the, the, the servant who's received these bags of gold. But just a, a, a little warning, we always got to be careful in trying to see every little passage of a parable as a direct correlation to something. Because God is nothing like the master. God is nothing like the, the person who reaps where he doesn't sow and, is, and, and sort of throws someone into uh, jail just because they didn't do what they were asked to do. 
God is loving us and caring for us, but the, the, the whole message of it, of this whole passage, is that we have a loving God who equips us and gives us resources, but those resources are to be used for the Kingdom of God. And so, just like the servants in this parable, Christians are given things to invest in, uh, by God, to invest in serving the Kingdom of God. And so, the next slide there says that we're to invest on behalf of the Master. These servants are to take the bags of gold and invest it on behalf of the Master. And in a way, if they take their bags of gold and they lose on it, the Master knows that investing has risks. So, that's probably why he's most upset with the guy who goes and digs a hole and puts it in the ground, because at least if he'd have invested it and lost it, at least he'd done what he was told to by his Master, which was to invest it. And I suppose there's a, a parallel for us in that, that Christians are given resources by God, not for our own benefit, but to invest in the Kingdom of God on behalf of our Master, who is our Father in Heaven. In some ways, we're to give an account for 100% of what the Lord gives us. We know in the Old Testament that there was this idea of tithing, tithing 10%. And in, in Jewish law, that was almost like a, a legal obligation to tithe 10%, and even in some of the, the teaching of Jesus, we see that the Pharisees would tithe 10% of everything they had. Even if they got some spices, they would tithe 10% of those spices away to uh, what they were to give it to. And so, we might come with an idea of tithing as though we give 10% of our resources to the church. Now, it would be wonderful if every Christian gave 10% of their resources to the church. It would be wonderful for the Kingdom of God if Christians gave their resources to the Kingdom of God and to the church. However, it's not a legal requirement in the New Testament to tithe 10%. But the parable here is saying that we have to give accounts for 100%. See how we're freed of the obligation under law to give 10%, but we've actually got a, a, a bigger burden in that we have to give account for 100% of the resources that we have. So, for example, it's no good for somebody who is involved in illegal activity and, and spending, say, $10,000 on illegal activity to then sort of appease their conscience by get conscience by giving $10,000 to the church and saying, oh, well, that offsets that. See, the problem is a 10% guide actually gives us some false impression that the other 90% we can do with whatever we want. And this parable is saying, no, actually, you have to give an account of 100% of what you're doing and what you're receiving and what you're giving. And so, how you spend some of your money is just as important as how you spend other parts of your money. The parable is suggesting that we don't just give to the church, but we actually make sure that the church is doing kingdom work and building the kingdom. Remember, we're investing on behalf of the Master and therefore we're doing what the Master has asked us to do, which is make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to build the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. 
And as we've learned from the Beatitudes, to see God's kingdom breaking in would mean that we're also uh, looking out for justice and meekness and purity of heart, all those things that we talked about in the Beatitudes series that we've just finished. So from a Christian perspective, this parable tells us that the church should be using its offering, the resources that we get in, for building the kingdom, not just looking after the sheep who gave the money. And so, a, a, a Christian understanding of giving to the church is not, I give to the church in order that the church then uh, builds a church that I'm happy with. No, we give to the church in order that the church would build the Kingdom of God. And another Christian perspective, again, we, we, it would be great if, if Christians gave 10%, but it's not a legal requirement. Again, a Christian perspective is that we're talking about percentages rather than amounts. It's not like the church is a membership and therefore you have to pay your dues to enter into membership and if you earn a lot of money, then that's obviously a, a smaller percentage of your income than somebody who's on a, a minor income. The parable here teaches us that Jesus is not concerned about the amount of money that each servant made. So, one servant is given five bags of gold and gains five more. So, in the end, even if just that servant was the only one who returned on investment, the master is much better off than if the second servant, who only had two bags, received a, a return on his investment. So, imagine the first servant lost all five bags, the other one only gained two bags. Surely, if it was about the amounts, then that servant who returned five bags would actually get a greater reward. But the parable that Jesus is teaching us shows that there is an equal reward for the return that both servants get. They both get the same reward of, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been put in charge of much, I'll put you in charge of even more. God is not concerned about the amounts that we give, God is concerned that there's an equal burden for giving to the church. So, let's talk in practical terms. Say a person has an income of $500,000 a year, they should be giving a similar percentage of their income to the church as someone who's on an aged pension. It's not the same amount, it's the same percentage, the same burden. And so, we could see somebody who's on a micro a micro wage giving their little bit to the church and in some ways they could be giving more as a percentage of their income than somebody who's on a much higher income and the goal of this uh, passage here is that it's equal burden for investing not about the amount that they return on that investment. So, for example, for some person who's lucky enough to pay off their house, perhaps they've got a greater capacity to give to the church than somebody who's living on a fixed income and living in a rental house and a, a high percentage in this cost of living pressure is going out week in, week out, just to maintain their own uh, lifestyle. And so, unfortunately, it's often the case that the burden for giving in the church falls unequally. And if you have a greater capacity to give, 
like the one who had five talents to begin with compared to the one who had one talent to begin with, then I think the response is, the responsibility is to give within your capacity, to see that you have capacity to share the burden and not worry so much about the amounts and think, well, I've given a significant amount this year and therefore um, I've done my dues and I don't need to do any more. It should also be noted that non-Christians attending the church in a way, are freed of the burden of giving to the life of the church. Non-Christians, we often say, uh, whenever you've been to churches and they ask for the collection of the offering, they often say that those who are not members of the church are free not to give to the church. Because they're not members of the church, not part of God's family yet, they don't share the equal burden of giving to the life of building the kingdom partly because they don't even know what building the kingdom of God means yet. The church is a free association and there's no membership fee to get into the church. So if you don't have any capacity at all to give to the church, there's no way that you should feel like a second-class citizen here. It's not about the amount that you give to the church like a membership fee to be in a football club, It's actually a free association. However, when we feel the burden of building the church, then we give in our capacity. The next point to say is that faithfulness is rewarded. Faithfulness is rewarded. In this parable, Jesus states that those who are faithful in small things will be given even more. Jesus is reminding the listener that God enjoys followers who follow Him and devote their lives to Him unconditionally. It's not like those who give a little bit, God loves a little bit, those who give more, God loves even more, and those who give a lot, God loves even more. God loves everybody unconditionally. And the parable is actually teaching us that, yes, it's about investing what God has given us, but it's also about being faithful. Notice Jesus, when telling this parable, has the master saying, well done, good, because you did the investment that I asked you to. Faithful is is part of the reward that the, the master gives. Faithfulness is rewarded in the kingdom of God. God is not more impressed by certain people. God's not more impressed by celebrities in the church. And, and I think if you looked at Uh, the way that some churches, including pastors, carry on. If you kind of like a celebrity pastor, God must love you more. No, the reality is that this parable is teaching us that faithfulness is rewarded. And when we're faithful to what God has given us and we've stewarded that well, then God looks at us and is delighted. The goal of stewardship is to build the kingdom of God, not to get a badge of honour, as a regular giver or a big giver to the church. Stewardship happens when people of God build the kingdom of God. And so building the kingdom is the goal of stewardship. Giving money to the church is not the goal. So I'm not actually here today to encourage you to give more to the church. Because as I said, it's it's not about 
giving to the church, it's actually about you being faithful with what God has given to you and making sure that what you're doing with your money and your resources and your talents is actually building the Kingdom of God, that you're stewarding all of that really well. But I'll be honest and say that the church, I'm not just talking about our church, the church in general, has not always been focused on building the Kingdom of God. Sometimes it's been focused on building the institution. Sometimes it's even literally been focused on building the buildings. And it seems like we're in the property business more than we're in the building of the Kingdom of God business. I once um, went on a, on a tour, uh, I, I was on a, 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 a conference and a tour overseas and, and we were travelling with a number of priests and we're just asking each other about our parishes. And, and this priest said to me that he, his principle for building his church was that only the best for God. And I thought, oh, well, I, I can agree with that, only the best for God. He then went to tell, on to tell me about his renovations that he was doing in his church and he was so proud of the fact that he'd flown in marble from Italy to redo the, the, the sanctuary of his church because he wanted to honour God with only the best marble that was available. And he kept going on and on and on about all the great things that he was putting into his uh, church building. This priest was building a palace for himself. He wasn't building the Kingdom of God. Nothing in the whole time that I was with him spoke anything about how his church was engaging in the local community. And we should be thinking of that as the servant who buried the bag of gold. We're called to invest what we do for the Kingdom of God. And we should see a return on that investment in the Kingdom of God, not just in great buildings. Although we do need buildings in order to help build the Kingdom of God. And so I, I, I know another priest who's using his buildings to make a great impact into his community and he found that in his community there are a lot of refugee families and so they're really struggling with resources and so the church building becomes a place where they can come and, and get food when they need food and people have donated clothes so that the refugee families can get clothes when they need clothes and and they're so passionate about this that even some people in the parish are actually uh, giving financially so that they can rent some houses and they can have refugee families come and live in those houses while they settle in and put their feet down and then they can use that house for another refugee family. You see, one priest is building a palace and another priest and his church are building the Kingdom of God. I think the parable is actually saying, what's our return in investment? Our return in, on investment should be that we see the Kingdom of God flourishing. And so the reward, like I shared last week, when I was talking about eternal life, where we get to heaven and, and we're waiting for that day where God would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, I think we should actually be living our life in the here and now, in a way that God would look at how we're stewarding 100% of our resources and would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be able to show how we've invested in the Kingdom of God what we've been given and we want to receive the affirmation from our Father in Heaven 
that we've participated in the building of the kingdom of God.